I want to talk today about following Jesus to the cross. We're going to be Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. If you want to turn with your Bibles there. And basically what I want to talk about is, like I said, following Jesus to the cross. But what I want to ask you is, who are you following right now? Who are you following right now? And I think that that's a question that we have to ask in our lives. Because we're following something or someone. We're following the way of this world. We're following the way that everything is supposed to be. We're following traditions and we don't even know it. We're following perhaps a family tradition, uh, a place that we live, and we think that this is the right way. We think that this is the way to be happy. We think that maybe that the way of the world is the way that you'll, you'll find peace, the, the way that commercials tell us on TV or the way that our friends tell us the ways to be happy, the ways to true fulfillment. And what Jesus calls his disciples to do, as we're going to see this, is going to be radically different than the world. Radically different. As Jeff just shared in his testimony, that's not the way the world works. The world does not tell you to pray and ask God what to give. The world says, grab it all for yourself and hold on tight. And God has a different economy. God has a different moral system. God has a different system for us, and it is the best possible way to live. But it is going to feel absolutely wrong when you start it. Because it's going to go against everything of this culture, everything that you've been trained, and everything that you've always thought was true. And I think, and so today I want to talk to you about, again, Jesus following him to the cross. There's a great gulf that we see in the book of Mark between what Jesus presents and what the apostles want to do. Every time Jesus says one thing, you see the apostles or disciples doing the opposite. And our example now is to look at them and go, oh man, you guys are dumb. Don't you see what Jesus is saying? You know what we're supposed to get out of this? We're not any different. They were right there. They heard it from Jesus. We hear it from Jesus all the time too. And what do we do? The opposite. We go the opposite way, even though Jesus is very clear. And we're going to see another example of that today, of going the opposite way. So let's look at Mark chapter 10, starting with verse 32. And we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus leads the way. And, and they were on the road, it says, going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. After taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days... He will rise. So for the first time, he lays out the destination. We're on our way to Jerusalem. Now, if you know anything about Jewish culture, even today, on to Jerusalem. On to Jerusalem. It's something that is said during the Passover. Next year in Jerusalem. This is the place. This is the kingly place. This is where King David was. This is where the palace was. This is where things go to happen. And when they hear Jerusalem, their minds stop. Okay? And just remember that. But Jesus is leading the way 
to the right way. And it's important for us to understand that. You see that, first of all, he says he's going up to Jerusalem. As we see the road that he is on, they are literally walking uphill to Jerusalem. Okay, you may have heard from your grandparents that they walked uphill both ways to school. Okay, that, you know, you've heard that whole thing. And you can tell when you're walking uphill, it's a stronger push. So they're actually going up to Jerusalem. And not only that, it says that Jesus was walking ahead of him. And the word that they use here for walking in Greek is a very deliberate and a very purposeful walk. Jesus is not just sauntering going, I guess I got to go to Jerusalem. He is deliberately walking that direction. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Follow me. I know the way. I know the way to live. I know the way to go. Follow me. And there are three groups that are portrayed here. First of all, you have Jesus who is purposefully walking and he's actually anxious to get on with what's going to happen. The disciples are following next because there's a word for them that says right here, it says that they are amazed at what Jesus is doing. They're amazed because they're thinking to themselves, I heard Jesus say that he was going to suffer when he was in Jerusalem. Why is he so purposeful to get to Jerusalem? If you found out that there was going to be a place that was going to be a difficult place for you, would you be purposeful and excited about going there? They're amazed. Okay? And that makes them start to think to themselves, maybe something different is going to happen than what he's saying. And then there's a third group that is going to be, they're just afraid. There's a group that are following because they're like, all we're hearing is bad stuff. We're walking along, but we don't know what to do with anything that's going on. And so that's the third group. They're just afraid. And all but Jesus are unable to comprehend what's actually going to happen. So Jesus takes the 12 aside like he's always doing. He takes them aside and he's going to tell them, this is what's going to happen. And this is the third time that he tells them this story. The third time. Anybody here who's a teacher, maybe you're a boss, maybe you're a supervisor, uh, maybe you're, just, you're a parent, maybe you just have had to tell somebody, have you ever said, this is the third time I've had to tell you? And then when they do it wrong after the third time, are you a little frustrated? Just for the record, just think in your head now. So this is the third time, and the words he even uses are almost exactly the same. So he's going to tell them, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, that's me, will be delivered over the chief priests and scribes, and they are going to condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and then they're going to mock him, spit on him, flog him, kill him, and after three days he will rise. Remember those words. He lays it out. He says exactly what's going to happen, that the chief priests and scribes, the ones that he has silenced in arguments, the ones he had no longer debates with, that he is going to be turned over to them. And they are going to condemn him to death, but then he's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles, which is going to be the Romans, who will do all these horrible things to them. Now, people that are reading this text, we're reading it like the first people read this, and they're like, don't you see this actually happened? At this time, they heard about it, but they hadn't heard it yet. They hadn't seen what was going to happen. They were just being told it was going to happen. And every time it ends with, though, that he's going to rise from the dead. So Jesus is leading them on the path of suffering. 
There's not of earthly glory, but of heavenly glory. He says we've got a path. Now, I told you that Jesus was very clear about this, but this is what the disciples hear. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, if you go at uh, verse 35, the disciples are going to go the opposite way and say, they came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptized? with which I am baptized. And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they became indignant at James and John. Okay, here's the story. Jesus just told them, we're on our way to Jerusalem, and they're going to do really bad stuff to me. I mean, in case you did not catch that, I'm going to be condemned to death, flogging, spitting, whipping, dying. What's their first response? What do I get out of it? All I heard was Jerusalem. You know what happens in Jerusalem? Kings. We're going to be kings. Yeah, they're dancing around. I can just kind of see it in their head thinking, we're going to be kings. We're going to have this. And not only that, we better use what is the method. Okay, let me tell you a method. I was, I was a basketball player, but I wasn't a very good basketball player. Okay? Uh, I hate to disappoint everybody, you know. You didn't have to watch me play, so I guess why are you disappointed? Uh, but anyways, I was on the basketball team. And one trick that I learned was... Um, because I wasn't one of the starters, when the game would get a little out of hand, the trick was when there was a timeout to keep moving closer to the coach. Because every once in a while, the coach would look over and go, well, this game's over, and he'd look in. And if you were the one next to me, go, hey, do you want to play? Oh, yeah, I'll go in. Or you're, you're the one who goes up to the boss, and you're the one that's always around the boss, because the boss may have a, you know, you, you're the one who wants to be known. You're the one who wants to use this trick. You see, those are human tricks. Those are human tricks. And so what all they heard was that they heard the term, if you look back again, the Son of Man will be delivered and they'll condemn him to death and after three days he's going to rise. All they hear is the fact that there might be some glory in it for us. Grant us to sit at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. As... James and John step way out of line, and just like the last prediction, they, they'd step out. Peter is the one that steps out last time. Now James and John step out of place. And what's going to happen here is they corner Jesus. They try to get him aside. But as we see in verse 41, all the other disciples are right there too. So it's like, Jesus, can you come in? We want to ask you something. So what do the other disciples do? They sneak over there too, because what are they? They're not perfect in this either. They're all looking for their place. They're all looking for their glory. They're all thinking, we know what it's like. We're with the king, and when a king gets to be in charge, everybody that's around the king gets something good. So we want to be that person. Jesus gives them a cautious reply, 
But then they say, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Why this request? And why them? What's interesting about this is it's always James, John, and Peter are the inner three. Well, what did they do? They were so worried about themselves, they said, there's only two spots. Guess what, Peter, you're out. Do you see the selfishness here? You see what they're using, the word? They're, all they heard was Jerusalem and glory. All they heard is Jerusalem and glory. Glory, glory, glory. Ooh, I'm going to have this great glory that we're going to get. And they heard the Son of Man. They imply that the royal part of Jesus. And you know what they do? They grab onto the part of Jesus' teaching that works best with their own mindset and forget the rest of the Bible. Now I'm going to say something heavily sarcastic right now. Thank God we don't do that anymore. Because, boy, there's a lesson right there. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, I'm a king's kid. I'm a king's kid, which means I get whatever I want. I've heard the preaching. I'm a king's kid. I'm, I'm a child of God. I should never be ill. I should have prosperity. I'm a, you, know, you take whatever part of the Bible, or you eliminate parts of the Bible, and you say things such as, that only was for the first century, or that was only for those people, or that was only for this. We take the parts of the Bible that we like. What parts of the Bible do we like? The whole part where Jesus just is lovey Jesus, loves us for everything we do. And how dare you say that Jesus had standards? How dare you say? Or you take the part that looks good for your own thinking. We in the West, we as Western Christians, we, we grab onto things. And when you, we talk to our African friends or we talk to our friends from Asia, they struggle with other things because they grab it and they put it in their own culture. But we need to pull back and say, you know what? The Bible is a whole. You need to take it as a whole. You can't just hear glory in Jerusalem and Son of Man and say, I heard what I heard. I'm going to get my new throne on glory if I ask Jesus for it right now. Because all you had to do was listen to the part about, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. We have to listen to the hard parts of Jesus. The reason that people go to church so many times, the reason that people look for different churches, the reason that people are looking around at one thing is they want to hear what they want to hear. They want to hear sermons. They will go from church to church to hear the message that they like. And if the pastor starts to preach a message that they don't like, they'll just find another church that te teaches them the same thing. You know what? Sometimes the Bible is really irritating because it hits us exactly where we need it. But that's good. If you don't walk out uncomfortable every once in a while, you're not paying attention. You're just not. I get uncomfortable. You know who it's worse? I think it's worse for pastors. I read this and I'm like, oh man. I wish I had perfection in this area. At least I could show them an example. And it's like, God's like, oh, you got a lot of work, pastor. <laughs> oh man, do you got a lot of work. But maybe that's good because he's telling me I have to work on this too. And they, they think of, remember when Peter went up to Jesus last time he predicted his own death, and he said, I will never let it happen. You will never die like this. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Not something you want Jesus to tell you. Okay? You want, well done, my good and faithful servant, less, get behind me, Satan. Okay? Those are the things that you can go for.
And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, what is he talking about with this cup and this baptism here? You see, in this time period, again, you have to understand what they were thinking. The cup that he is talking about in the Old Testament was a cup of judgment and a cup of suffering. It's a judgment that's going to come upon him. And that means that he is destined for suffering in the future. And then the baptism, the word baptism, you will see this word in, in even modern Greek, where they will baptize things, which means to dunk something or to be overwhelmed by something. So he is saying that I am going to be overwhelmed or swamped by horrible things and put into misfortune so bad that I'm literally overwhelmed by it. Now what's interesting about this, the disciples actually get it here, we can think, and they said, yep, we're willing to do that. They answer, we are able. We'll take that punishment because we'll take a little bit of punishment, Jesus, if we get to be on the right hand and the left hand of you. If we get those positions of authority, we'll take it. But, and Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. So he tells them straight up, guess what? You are going to suffer. Guess what? You are going to have bad things happen to you because of my name. But it says, but to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. James and John are willing to take it on, but you know what? They're not, ready, they're not able to say, or Jesus says, I can't tell you who these people are going to be or are going to be my right hand and left hand, and I'm not able to give you that. We, you know who ends up being in his right hand and his left hand when he is brought to glory? Two thieves. Two thieves. Because where does he die? dies on a cross. Who has the position of glory next to him? Two thieves next to him that were prepared from beforehand. And the disciples said, well, we're ready to do that. He says, no, it's going to be two thieves are going to be that. So they're willing to do this, but they're willing to do it for the wrong reason. Those thieves were not there because they thought, you know, this is the greatest thing for us. And verse 41 tells us that the ten heard it and they began to be indignant at James and John. Now this is great. Jesus just kind of straightens them out and you think, well, maybe they're straightened out by this time. Do you know why they're mad in verse 41? Because James and John got there first. They're mad because they're like, hey, we do this as a team. The 12 of us, maybe we'll do a rotation system. Okay, you get those days, I get this days, I get these days, you get that. You can't be going up to Jesus and getting special favors. We want special favors. And you see the whole attitude. But what I see the attitude of the disciples is the attitude of most of us today. Most of the world today, which is even when we come to church, even when we're looking for a church, even when whatever, we're looking for what do I get out of it? What do I get out of it? I'm with Jesus. You know what? They told Jesus we had to give up everything. And they're like, great. But you know what? It's what you can give. It's not what you're going to get. So now Jesus, starting in verse 42, starts to lay out the true way. And it says, And Jesus called to them and said to them, 
You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall, be, shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many." So Jesus calls them back together because they had been separated by James and John. I'm sure there's some issues going on amongst the disciples at this time. But he brings up the example and he says, you know who they hate more than anybody at this time? They hate the Gentiles. They hate the Romans. Okay? And he says, guess who you are being like? You are being like the Romans. You are being like those Gentile leaders that lorded over you. You know what Roman citizens would do at this day? They would lord it over them. They would build things next to Jewish things. They would insult the Jewish people. They would insult, they would do everything they can to kind of put them down. And they said, you are becoming just like them. Just like them. They are oppressive and they exploit their power. Do you wish, and here's the illustration that I have for you. Do you ever wish after you see the world, Okay, let's just go through this week's news. I'm not going to summarize it. But do you see some problems that have happened this week? Okay, that could be any week. It's not like I picked one out. You know, it's like here I wrote down illustration, ask about the week. Well, it's not like there's a week that we don't have that. Shooting at a synagogue, bombs being sent in the mail, things like that. Do you ever wish that you could have absolute power over things and fix everything? Sometimes do you ever have that thing that comes through in your head if I could switch things, if I could just be president for a day, or if I could just be in charge for a day, and you know what happens? We would probably mess everything up, just to, just to be clear about it. All right, so just, just to lay that out. We do, need good, we do need good people in power, but almost every example where somebody has been given too much power, they have messed everything up and they've started to exploit their own power. And Jesus is saying, you're looking for power, but don't you understand, the Gentiles have all the power, and look at what they're doing. If I gave you that kind of power, what makes me laugh about these guys are these are the same guys that are going to say when they come to a town and the town doesn't accept them, what do they ask Jesus to do? Send lightning down from heaven and light these people up. That's why we don't get lightning power. Okay? Jesus is not going to give us the lightning power. And he shouldn't. Never. We should not be given that. We should not be given this power to cast judgment upon people. God is the judge. We are the ones to bring them the good news. Jesus gives us that authority to do that, but definitely not the judgment power because we would, we would abuse it. He says, but it should not be that way among you. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant, and whoever would be first must be slave of all. This whole section flips the human way of leadership and importance that the world values. This is a revolutionary alternative society, and the Christians, especially of the early church, are going to especially accomplish this task. They are going to be the people that are going to be thought of by their neighbors. They look out for one another. They look out for the people that are hurting. We see in Acts chapter 2, we talked about last week, with money. Whenever they saw somebody in need, 
they sold what they had and gave it to the one who had need. That's different than the world saying, oh, you're in need. Well, I hope it goes well for you. I hope you find somebody that can help you. The Christian said, no, we're going to help those people in need. We're going to do that. And he says, if you're going to be a, the greatest, you must be a servant. You must serve. We are called to a life of service. It is not possible to be a Christian without being a person of service. You cannot be a Christian without serving. And this is where I think that sometimes as a church, um, we should be looking for opportunities to serve. We should be looking for opportunities to serve in church, to serve our neighbors, to serve those around us. Why? Because that is the example that Christ has given us. We must be the slave. We must be the person to put our needs second and other people's needs first. And you say, that's a lot to ask. Is there any example that we can have? I'm glad you ask. Verse 45. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus Christ. You've heard the line before, you know, sometimes parents will look at their kids and say, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of this world. Um, or the whole concept of you owe me your life or whatever. Jesus Christ when he was born, when he died, when he was hanging on the cross, you know what Jesus could have said? Uh-uh, I'm done with this. Just pop off there. I'm not doing this anymore. When, he was being, when somebody was being obnoxious to him, you know what he could have done? Mm, I don't think you want to play around with me. I really don't think you do. You know what I can do? There's a fig tree over here that I withered up, and I can do that to you. Okay? Is that not Jesus? Does he not have that power? When demons come up to him, he tells them to be quiet and go away, and they can't do anything. When the storm comes up, he looks up, he goes, mm, nah, stop. All the power in the world. Where, why did Jesus come to earth? To serve. To serve. I asked this question on Wednesday night study. Why is it Jesus was on earth for 30 plus years? Why didn't you just come, die on the cross, okay, did my thing, I'm leaving? He came to show us the way to live. He came us to, give us to give us the example of how we're supposed to live. And he showed that we are supposed to serve others and not always be looking for people to serve us. Because Jesus is the Son of God, he should have been served. Okay, he should have had all this, but he's saying, you know what, I'm going to show you how to do it. Look for opportunity. When Jesus is walking through a town and he sees somebody that's hurting, he goes over to the person that is hurting. He doesn't look away. When somebody comes up to him with an actual question, he answers it. He is looking for a chance to say, what can I do to make this better? The death on the cross by Jesus Christ does not only represent his giving of his life for others, but it shows us a model that we are to follow, which is to sacrifice our lives for other people. You know what? Serving God takes up our time. It takes up our Netflix um, time. I know for, I mean, that's important, okay? I understand. But it takes up our, our time that we get to sit and, you know, do nothing time. A lot of people just love, I, I have some friends that their do nothing time is their favorite thing. What do you like? Absolutely nothing and it's the greatest thing ever, okay? 
We all have. You know, it's going to take up some of our time to serve other people, to look out for other people's needs. It's going to take some time to be invested. When, when Josh and Cindy were talking about being a part of the live, live nativity that we're doing as outreach, that's going to take some time. But when we're serving, we're following the example of Jesus Christ. And that's what he calls us to do. And by doing this, and by putting ourselves second, we're actually lifting ourselves up because we're following the example of Jesus Christ. And for the first time, he says right here, why he dies on the cross and the reason for it. He gives his life as a ransom. Not only is he going to die on the cross as an example, he's going to secure our release from sin. The reason that everybody here can receive forgiveness is because Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross. You owe more than you can handle. Okay, if you've seen the ads in the thing, maybe you owe too much here, maybe you owe too much here. We all owe too much. And we don't have jobs to pay it off. We can't pay our debt back. All right? We can't, there's no way we can pay of our guilt. But Jesus Christ pays the ransom for us and sets us free. This word here means a payment to secure release from sin. And that's what we receive for him. And so why do we serve Jesus? What is the path to follow Christ? The path to following Christ to the cross is becoming a servant and becoming willing to suffer for him, but also willing to serve for him, to put ourselves second. You know how you became a Christian? Do you know how you've been supported in your faith? Because other people have put themselves second. If you want to read something interesting, go back in history. A lot of people love to read back in history and say, when... Um, you know, where I came from, maybe you do a, a DNA test. Go back and find out the first missionaries that went to your people. First of all, I'm going to tell you, they died horrible deaths for the most part. Okay, I have Viking blood in me, not nice to missionaries. Okay, I have Eastern European blood, not nice to missionaries. Somebody put their life on the line for you. Somebody served. First of all, Jesus Christ did it for you. Somebody else did after that. And God is calling everybody here to a life of service to him and a life of service to everybody else, on, first in the church, but also to everyone throughout our lives. Why don't you stand with me today? If our prayer ministers could come forward, if you're here today, we always want to make sure that you have multiple opportunities to have somebody pray for you. Why? Because we believe in a God that answers prayer. We believe that, that God wants to answer prayer. We believe that God wants us to pray. He asks us to and, he wants to, and He wants to do great things in our life. But if you're here today and you have a need, just come and see one of our prayer ministers and they'll pray for you. Second of all, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never been ransomed, you're still in captivity. The Bible is very clear about this. We're in, you're in captivity to sin if you've not been ransomed by Christ. You say, no, 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 I'm free. I get to do whatever I want. No, you're captive to sin. And when you're freed by Christ to become captive to him, it says we act as a slave, but you know what? Slavery in Christ is freedom. It's freedom from sin. It's freedom to become the people that we we're supposed to be all along. And if you need to make that commitment, if you need to, to have your sins forgiven, come and talk to one of our prayer ministers. And they'd love to walk you through the path of becoming a Christian. 
for everybody else who's here, I just want to challenge you to a life of service. I've said this many times before, and one of the visions that I want to portray to the church is I want the congregation to irritate me to death. Okay, just remember that. Everybody's like, oh, good, I get to irritate the pastor. All right, here's how I want you to irritate me. Pastor, I want to serve. Help me now. Call me the next day. Did you find something yet? I want to serve. I want to be what Christ has called me to be. Don't let me be one of those people that don't serve, Pastor. You know it's your responsibility. Ephesians 4.12. Come on, I'm going to read it to you. It's the pastor's job to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It says right there. That's 4.11 actually, sorry. Um, But I want you to do that because you know what? We should be looking for opportunities to serve. The Bible says outdo one another in doing good and lifting one another up. That's the only competition they really give us. See who can do the most for the other person. Oh, no, no, let me get that for you. Oh, no, no, let me get that for you. We should have competitions. Ooh, can I wash your car? No, I'll wash. No, I don't know if it's going to get that bad. But, you know, we should be looking to serve because the Son of Man came to serve. And let us be like his example. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you, God, that you give us the way to the cross. I thank you, God, that first of all, that you took those steps. And God, you deliberately took those, you took those with a desire to, to follow your Father's will, God, to take it right to the cross. And you served us, God. You died on the cross from us, you ro- for us. You rose from the dead for us. But God, you also showed us the way to be servants to others. You showed us that our needs are not as important as those of others. And when we're looking out for one another, God, we have the best possible church we can have. And help us to become servants, God. Help us to be servants of one another in this church. But God, let us be servants to the town of Bemidji, God. This area is where you have called us. God, people should know that Crossroads Church, the people of this church, are here to serve. We're here to show the way of Jesus Christ to those who are hurting. Lord, make us in your image. We ask this now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our prayer ministers are available, otherwise you are dismissed.